This is the Falcon Twin Podcast from falcontwin.com. I'm Brendan, and this is commentary for pages 96 through 115. Before I start, I'd like to thank the guys from Short Attention Gamer, who mentioned Falcon Twin on their last show. It's a really great podcast for people who like video games but don't actually have the time to play them all that much. So if that description fits you, or even if it doesn't and you just like video games a whole lot, you should definitely go and have a listen. Whatever you do, be sure not to miss the Trash Talk video, which you can find on their archive page because it is, in my opinion, a stroke of genius. The show isn't quite as wacky as some of the other video game podcasts out there, but that's kind of a good thing. It's a more mature show for a more mature audience, and they can be found at shortattentiongamer.com. If you are a listener who came here from Short Attention Gamer, welcome. So, page 96, this is the obviously opening page of chapter 3, called Neophyte, a title which I was never all that thrilled with, but seems to get the job done. I, looking back, am not as happy with this page as I suppose I was at one point. There's definitely some things wrong with it, and a couple of really bad perspective errors that no one ever pointed out, thank God, so maybe I'm the only person who noticed it. But there are also some strong points in the page. I really like the sky with the stars, which are kind of hidden behind the titles, unfortunately. And also the clouds, which look a little bit too Photoshoppy. I mean, they were made in Photoshop, but they kind of look like a little too much for my taste. But regardless, I still think they look kind of all right, especially the way the light sort of plays off the leading and trailing edges of them. And the colors of the sky are quite nice, too. Another thing that I really like with regard to the colors are the colors of the sky reflecting in the glass on the sort of top window of this shop. Another thing are, strangely enough, the shrubbery at the bottom right of the page, which is very loosely defined, a lot more loose than pretty much everything else in the page. But it looks pretty good anyway, and definitely achieves the effect of having the light be on the leaves that are reflecting it and a couple of flowers, and the colors are very saturated, and it looks quite nice. Now, with the shops in Chapter 3, I was getting a little bit goofy with some of the text and trying to play it up more like the lame marketing that you see on a lot of modern shops and stores and things like that. So you can see there's Phil's discount tools for today's adventurer. You can see the sale sign that says today only, 50% 50 off of most whatever. The sword in the window is actually kind of nice looking, the way that the colors and the metal look of it are, are quite good. The light bloom around the light on the front of the shop is way too much, and I should have turned that way down. There is a sign next to the door that says, I assure you, we're open. And if you don't know what that's a reference to, well then you, my friend, have no taste at all. Page 97. Go ahead, ask me anything. I'm surprised I didn't get any mail over that. That's really awful. So Tresca and Mika are in the shop looking for a weapon. Tresca's just kind of let Mika go and decide whatever she wants to get. They don't look all that spectacular on this page, but Tresca kind of looks all right in the first panel. I was talking about some of the stupid marketing speak. In the last panel on this page, you can see a little bit of it where it says, everything must go, and the way they've got everything kind of lined up and labeled. So you've got slings on one shelf and axes on another shelf and swords are on another shelf still, and all kinds of implements of doing horrible things to human beings are you know just all sort of neatly organized around this store. Page 98. I won't even talk about the title on this page. And the chibis are back, unfortunately. The only one that I think is kind of funny is in panel three, where you've got little tiny Mika holding this really huge pole arm. The rest of them are kind of stupid. So I think everyone probably already knew that she was going to get to a sword, but, you know, she had to have some reason for not picking some of the other stuff. And so this is just an opportunity to have a little bit of fun at the expense of some of the fantasy cliches. 
Mika drops the mace, presumably on her foot, but this is another situation like in the last chapter where something that would have normally injured a person and then have had to have been a plot point and people would have had to deal with it is just kind of glossed over and, and people move on. So she doesn't break any bones in her foot or break the skin or damage herself or anything when she drops this big, huge mace on it. Mika tries to draw this bow, which is obviously way too tight for her. It's that she's having to brace herself to pull it. Next page, Tresca never wanted to miss the opportunity to laugh at someone else's misfortune, which is kind of weird since she's sort of a nice person. You wouldn't think she would do that, but it is sort of funny. I don't know how Mika actually managed to get herself that intertwined with the bow because, I mean, you'd have to really sort of do some gymnastics to do that, particularly if you look at her right arm. I have no idea how she did that. The backgrounds you can see in here are kind of loose. These days I'm doing more defined backgrounds. The difference is that I think the backgrounds in the past tended to be a bit wider and show a bit more of the scenery around them, which I kind of liked. Although, unfortunately, now that I'm doing more detailed stuff and it takes longer to do, I can't really do that because it would just take way too long. So the backgrounds that I'm doing now are a little more confined, a little bit more narrow, and don't necessarily have as much stuff going on, which is kind of a shame, but, you know, I only have so much time. Another thing about the backgrounds is that you'll notice, particularly on the preceding page, that a lot of the backgrounds are pretty much the same from panel to panel. Although, actually, I don't really copy many of the backgrounds. There was one in Chapter 2, when Mika and Tresca were staring at each other shortly before Mika passed out. And there are a few in Chapter 5, when they're sitting at the table having the conversation, because the backgrounds are so detailed and the camera isn't moving. It was something I used to be really opposed to, but then I decided it was kind of ridiculous to be drawing exactly the same thing over again for no reason other than just drawing it over again. And the upside of that is I'm able to put more detail and more juice into the backgrounds that I do because instead of having to draw them twice, I draw them once really well and then I can copy them. So that's something that I used to really refuse to do and now I've sort of lightened my stance on. One thing I haven't done yet is actually copied a background between one page and another page. That's something I still haven't done and probably wouldn't like to do if I can avoid it, which again, I don't know why, because if the image is the same and the background is going to be the same. Why not? Anyway, having gone off on a little bit of tangent, here's page 99. Mika finds the pre-owned weapons, which is another idea that I thought was just kind of riotously funny. The idea of used weapons where, you know, you just use them, do whatever you want to do with them, and then sell them back, like to the pawn shop. And they, you know, they knock off 10% for wear and tear on the weapon. They knock off 10% for the blood, and then they sell it at a, you know, 100% markup. But it's just such a dumb idea to sell used weapons that I thought it would be really funny. I think I'm the only person who thought it was really funny, but I laugh at it. So page 100. Oh, you're going straight to hell for that one. That's a very obscure reference, which I'm going to explain. I don't know exactly what that came from. I think it came from a movie of some sort, but that was a clip that was played on, I believe, the Pyro Pimps. And if you don't know who the Pyro Pimps are, they did a radio show. It wasn't a radio show. It was kind of like a precursor to a podcast way back in the day when Descent was popular. And if you don't know what Descent is, then I pity you because you missed out on a wonderful, wonderful game, which is probably the best first-person shooter of all time. Anyway, the Pyro Pimps had a show about Descent and the happenings in the community. And they, at one point, played an audio clip where someone went, oh, you're going straight to hell for that one. Anyways, that's where that title came from. And that's a reference that's way too obscure for anyone else but me to get. So, Evan is introduced, finally. Evan looks pretty shoddy in the early parts of his appearance in Falcon Twin, and it's only recently that I've become sort of more happy with how he looks. 
interestingly enough, his his look now is more like what I had in mind. It's one of the rare times that a character actually started out with a specific look in my head and then sort of evolved towards it, where most of the characters who have evolved have sort of evolved a little bit away from how they looked. Annika is, is a good example, and no one's really seen my original sketches, but I still kind of like my original sketches of Annika better than what she looks like in the strip now. Another thing that I used to really like about this page, and it doesn't impress me as much now as it used to, was the shading on Tresca, particularly on her face in the first panel to indicate where the light is coming from. You really get a sense of the plane of her face and the, the direction that the light is, and it's pretty consistent across her entire body, which is nice. Anyway, Tresca turns around, snaps at Evan, and sees that insignia, which, as I said before, isn't a copy of the wormhole insignia from before. It just kind of looks like that because I'm an idiot. We introduce Evan, and Tresca mistakes him for a priest, which isn't something that's actually resolved until quite a few strips down the road that he's not a priest, and Tresca makes a little joke about it. I'll talk about that when we get there. Interestingly enough, despite having over 321 strips at the time of my recording this, Falcon Twins still gets far less press than a lot of webcomics out there that have less than 100 pages, and I hit 100 almost two years ago. Go figure. Page 101. So we can see that Evan is a polite guy. He's a nice guy, although he's carrying a sword, so he's at least kind of tough. Anyway, Mika calls Tresca over, and for the first time we get to see Mika's sword, which doesn't have a particular name. It's kind of got an ergonomic grip, which is nice. And the design on the near end of the blade, I don't know what you call that, is something that has gotten longer and longer over time. Not on purpose, but the, the flashing around the blade has gotten shorter, and the design in that little part where there's no sharp edge of the blade has gotten longer. So, kind of an interesting design. It was It's a bastard sword, so you can hold it with one hand or two. Page 102, Tresca is, well, kind of cheap, as I think probably everyone expected. More wonderful backgrounds back there. And Tresca freaks out over the price. And Evan has nothing better to do, so he decides to butt in and talk to them about swords, because, you know, he knows about swords. Which is kind of the reason that he sort of appears in the comic in the first place. Of course, there are other reasons with regard to the plot and things like that, but one of the important reasons is that we needed someone who knows about swords, and Evan was a guy who knows about swords. Tresca isn't, and couldn't really teach Mika how to use a sword at all. So having Evan around was kind of convenient for that. There's a very subtle thing in the last panel. You notice the way that Mika looks away when Evan addresses her, which isn't really an embarrassment thing or an attraction thing. It's just that she doesn't like interacting with other people that she doesn't know. Another thing that's changed about the characters is the way that certain features have become more and more pronounced. If you look at Evan in this page, page 102, and the way that his bangs are very, very tiny, they're little tiny things that poke out of his hairline, compared to what they are now, they're a pretty prominent feature of his hair. That's something that has changed over time. Also, the actual edges of the outline of his hair, too, have gotten more pronounced. And you see that with other characters, too. Tresca has the same sort of thing, where she's got these little things that stick out about halfway down her hair. Those have gotten bigger. It happened with Yumiko in Chapter 1, where she had a little, another little thing poking out of the top of her hair that also got bigger over time. And that's something that I don't really do on purpose. It just sort of happens because I pick up on the features and I think just unconsciously exaggerate them. And it's not something that I have a problem with. In fact, I kind of like it because it, it makes the characters more distinct over time. And it's unfortunate that I couldn't just design them that way in the first place. But things that I try to make small and subtle end up being a little bit bigger and larger. 
which I don't know, maybe that's a, a good design point is that if you're designing stuff, you should make the things that distinguish it pretty pronounced so that they're kind of hard to miss. Page 103, this is a kind of fun title, although it isn't a reference to anything, and you can see Tresca also sort of funny being angry at Evan for undermining her attempt to get Mika to buy the cheap sword. I really like the rust on the sword in the second panel, those 98% off sword. The I don't know how I did the rust. I think I did a one layer and set it to like multiply and then did another layer and set it to screen or something like that. It took a few different copies of the same layer with different blending modes, but it actually on the second panel looks really good. Third panel, not so much. I think again, part of that is just the bloom being way too intense, but it definitely gets the message across in the second panel and that looks kind of fun. And Mika and Evan's reaction in the fourth panel to the sword that Tresk has picked up is kind of funny too. So outvoted two to one, Tresca relents and lets Mika buy the nice sword. But it's not going to cost her as much as Mika probably thinks, as I'll explain later. Page 104. So Mika says, yay, thank you. I don't really like that all that much. I don't think I've ever said yay out loud in the course of normal conversation. I don't know if I know anyone who's actually said yay out loud in the course of normal conversation. So looking back, that was a piece of dialogue that I probably should have refined. So here we have a sort of contrived way of getting them all to go together so that we can have Evan teach Mika how to use a sword and take a little inadvertent shot at Tresca in the final panel. This was obviously something that I needed to do, and in the next page I'm going to get to the actual mechanics of how I, I got them to all end up traveling together, because it always is something that you have to write. I know George Lucas talked about this. I'm probably going to piss off a lot of people referencing George Lucas because people hate him so much. But you know what? I thought that the new Star Wars episodes were just fine. And he talks about this in one of his commentaries about one of the scenes in episode two, where it was sort of a connecting scene. And he said, this is the kind of scene that you don't like to write, but you kind of have to because it gives everyone a reason for going where they go with the people they go with. This is sort of a similar scene in the sense that basically I needed to have a reason for them all to go on this little journey together. So page 105, the explanation and the final sealing of the deal occurs when Evan offers to give Tresca money for it. Mika playing around with a sword in the back, which is kind of dumb in a sense, but I guess she doesn't realize that it actually is a sword that can kill people and stab them and slash them and stuff. But she'll learn that soon enough, I guess. Anyways, in the third panel, you can see that Mika's already sort of picked up on Tresca's love for money, and once Evan offers to give Tresca money, Mika notices immediately. How Pavlovian, that's a reference to Sam and Max, the video game. Really awesome adventure game that people love, and they were supposed to be making a sequel, and then they weren't, and then they were again, and I think they got canceled again. It was unfortunate, because it was a really cool game, and there was a scene where you set off an alarm in this big security guard goes running by and one of the characters says how pavlovian or something along those i think he said actually i think it says that was pavlovian something along those lines at any rate that was what that was a reference to and the title of this page is a reference to well a song i'm not going to talk about it. it's a stupid title page 106 silent night now that's an awesome title whenever you can get a pun in a title go for it that's my philosophy Anyway, this is the establishing shot in the first panel of the armor shop. Again, more stupid marketing thing. If you look in the bottom right, it says Fall Fashions. You can see that the text was done in Photoshop. I may have mentioned this before, I may not, that my handwriting is just awful, so I don't do any text by hand. The downside of it is that the Photoshop text doesn't blend too well with the art, so it's kind of a trade-off. But if you've seen my handwriting, I think you'd forgive me. 
Also, the first page of this chapter was the same way, where I had to search for quite a while to find a font that didn't look totally ridiculous on that sign. I don't think I really got it, but I, I at least made the effort. Back to this page. The armor looks really good. I, I like it. It has a very nice metallic look to it, and it took a while to actually find reference material for the suit's armor. Tresca looks a little bit strange, so I don't want to talk about her. But the armor looks really good and has a, a very, very nice shine to it. And also another very nice little detail thing is if you look in the wood floor, you can see reflections of the armor and you can see reflections of Tresca's feet, which is nice. Also look at the armor on the left-hand side and the right-hand side of the page. You can see some interesting stuff there. Page 107, Nightfall, another wonderful pun. Evan, always the killjoy, saying that the armor isn't going to work, and Tresca protests. I like the second panel because it reminds me of something out of an anime or something where you've got, you know, the girl pilot and her jet fighter or something, and she's got her hand on it, and she's complaining and talking about it as if it's a person. It's the same sort of thing. I mean, Mika could be in there. She could not be in there. It could just be a big hunk of metal for all anyone knows, and the way that Tresca sort of has her hand on it is and is complaining about how wonderful it is is kind of funny. Now, these are chibis that... Uh, they kind of are chibis and they're kind of not because the proportions are a little bit more like normal. It's kind of funny. Again, it was another idea that I thought was really funny when I thought about it before. Didn't play out quite as funny as it could have been, but it's still a sort of vaguely amusing, I think, the first time anyway. So that one didn't work out. Page 108, the swimsuit issue. Now, this was not really intended to be fan service. It was more a commentary on the stupid cliches and fantasy and RPGs, especially fantasy from, you know, Japan and Korea and places like that where people wear these totally wacky outfits that don't really make a lot of sense if you're going to be potentially having people swinging swords and axes and all kinds of horrible things at you. But it is a neat outfit, and I, it took a little while to come up with all the stupid little baubles on the outfit because it really had to be over the top. So you can see that she's got the strange angel wings on her head, and she's got the heart necklace and the cape and the gloves that are way oversized, and, and just all kinds of ridiculous, stupid stuff. And, of course, the joke is that in this weird fantasy world, no one really thinks that's all that out of the ordinary, which kind of ties into what I was saying in the last podcast, is you see people walking around in bikinis in that wide shot of near Lempra. I guess it's just something that's accepted in this world, as will be explained on page 109, where Mika complains about this. And this is Vallejo's Law and First Corollary. If you don't know what Vallejo's Law refers to, go to Google Images and search for Vallejo, and all will be revealed. Although, if you're reading a fantasy comic, I imagine that most of you probably do know who Boris Vallejo is and, and what exactly this is a reference to. Again, more poking fun at the cliches of fantasy and RPGs and things like that. And Mika's reaction is really fun, where she protests at the stupidity of this whole idea of wearing less clothing being more protective and, you know, complains about why doesn't Evan have to wear less clothing, and Tresca points out that it only works for women, which is the kind of ridiculous logic that you would expect to follow from something like this. And Mika is just exasperated about it, which is nice. Page 110. So Mika has refused to wear the bikini, unfortunately for everyone, although fortunately for me because it was kind of a pain in the ass to shade. And Mika goes and puts together her outfit. Now, the second panel on this page is a good example of some of the problems of doing the characters as one thing and the backgrounds as their own separate thing, because you can see Mika holding this shirt, which, if you look, is considerably smaller than all the shirts on the rack, which she presumably pulled it from. 
Panel 3 is nice with the perspective, Mika, the really big hand in the front. And then, of course, Panel 4, a little bit of fan service. Not very good fan service, but, you know, I do what I can. Clearance items is another wacky marketing reference. So Mika pulls the belt off the rack and declares that she's ready for page 111. And we can see Mika's outfit, the final outfit, pretty much the same as it is now with, I'm looking to see if there are any differences. I think the glove on her right arm is longer now just because I wanted it to be. But otherwise, I think it's pretty much the same outfit. It, you know, little small changes in where all the lines are and the proportions of the vest and things like that. But otherwise, pretty much the same. And I kind of like it. And one of the ideas with the outfit for Mika was that it's kind of a, a plain outfit. It's not anything flashy like Tresca's wearing or Sydney or Annika, which kind of matches the character. Tresca's more feminine and more outgoing and, and appealing and therefore wears clothing that sort of reflects that. And Mika is the same way. She wears clothing that is unremarkable, which sort of matches her character. The title of this page is not bad at all. We're clothed. <laughs> Very funny. Page 112, so Evan finally introduces himself. Nobody actually knew who he was at this point. Actually, come to think of it, I think most of the characters don't really introduce themselves until quite some time after they make an appearance. In a way, it's kind of ridiculous that they didn't get his name earlier, but, you know, it's a comic strip. Get over it. There are some nice things on this page. The first panel, I sort of like the way the background goes off behind Mika into the street with some of the lights. That's, well, actually, I think Mika and Tresca kind of look okay in the first panel. Besides that, I don't have a lot to say that's positive about this page. Some of the lights behind Evan are interesting, the way they're blown out into the large circles, kind of like you'd see on a, on a film when they're not in focus. The lighting on Tresca in the third panel is kind of nice, too. It's, it's, again, it's like page 100 has a very strong directional aspect where it's all kind of coming from the same way. Here's a little interlude. Happy fucking Valentine's Day 2004. Pretty much how all my Valentine's Days go. Page 113. Evan, not exactly the sharpest sword on the rack. Again, you know, it's trying to make equivalence to things and sayings that we have in our world that obviously they couldn't say something like it's not the brightest bulb in the box. I suppose you could say sharpest tool in the shed. That would work. But some of the other sayings, you have to kind of modify them to fit a world that doesn't have light bulbs. Although they do have wacky sort of lamps that are similar to light bulbs, but they don't actually call them light bulbs and they don't have electricity. I don't know what the problem is with the shading on Mika in panel two. She looks very strange. Her face is very dark, and it's... I don't think she's blushing. I think it was just a weird thing about the way that I shaded it that looks very strange. And a little bit more fan service on this page. Mika from behind, Tresca from behind. Very nice behind. And there's some interesting things in the background. If you look in the backgrounds of panel two and panel four and the last panel, you can see that I was using a, a lot of texture in the background, which is something that I don't think I really do at all anymore, mainly just because it's not necessary, especially on this page, since it's so dark, you really can't see a lot of it anyway. Like I said in the last podcast, especially not on a regular PC monitor. If you've got an LCD with the gamma all wonked out, then I suppose you can see it. But normally, and especially in daylight conditions, you probably wouldn't be able to see that. This is one of the pages that kind of brings home the idea that Tresca is a it, deep down, she's a nice person. She kind of makes an attempt at playing off as being sort of selfish and sort of, you know, look out for number one. But deep down, she actually has a pretty big heart. Page 114, charitable contribution. Now, this was what I was talking about a while back, about the sword not actually being all that expensive for Tresca, because Evan actually paid for it. I always worried that people wouldn't necessarily get this. I don't think it was a problem in the end. 
but I was always worried that people might have thought that Tresca was just kidding when she said that Evan paid for it, but she actually wasn't. Evan did pay for it, and that was the idea, was that Tresca took Evan's money and paid for the sword. It was not something that ever became a plot point. He probably just wondered what happened to it and got more from the church. So Tresca lays out the plans for the next day, and we get to the last page of this commentary, page 115, which is kind of nice, a little bit of a quiet moment for Mika to reflect on her situation. I have a few more pages like this throughout the strip, and they're always kind of nice to sort of establish what Mika is thinking at that time in a more long format than just immediate thought bubbles of this sucks, or I don't like this, or, you know, I want to go home, that kind of thing. This is a time where she can actually sort of go on a little bit. There's another really great one when they're out camping out under the stars. At any rate, this page, on the first panel, I really like the impression of Mika underneath the bed sheets. It's a little bit too precise. It's almost like they're vacuum sealed onto her body or something. You can see all the little wrinkles and everything. But it still is a nice effect, and her body's too short, too. But, but I do still like it a whole lot. Anyway, for the first time, Mika references Yumiko after, well, pretty much since the end of Chapter 1. And so now, having mentioned Yumiko, she remembers Yumiko and what happened to her and freaks out and starts talking gibberish, kind of like I've been all through this podcast, although hopefully you won't be able to know because I'm going to edit the hell out of it. Anyway, so Mika tries to explain what happens to Yumiko and then realizes that she fucked up really bad and worse than she probably realizes. Anyway, that's it for this podcast. Next time I'll be talking about the next scene. So there.